you know what? I think most of the time, if people are willing to just do the job, do the hard work, even if it's not necessarily fun, they're going to succeed. Um, once in a while, I've seen people with maybe not as much, not as much gifting and just natural ability that just a drive that, that they, they've learned how to succeed in spite of their moderate amount of talent. You're listening to For the Record, conversations about music, mixing, and the creative industry. Today's guest is Rod Fletcher. Rod is the leader of the Opry Background Singers and has sung in the Grand Ole Opry for more than 25 years. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for letting us into your backyard. Absolutely. Yeah. Welcome. This is this is great. This is our first outside shoot uh, for the record, so that's fun. Let's hope it stays quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope. I mean, no, this is nice. I feel like I could do this for hours. Yeah. Um, Kurt is joining us as well. Say hello, Kurt. Hey, it's great to be here again. This is this has been a fun, fun week having you guys around. And yeah, you've just kind of been camping out the whole time. Yeah, it's been good. It's been really good. Um, so, Rod, I'd love for you to kick us off by just talking a little bit about your your time that you've spent here in the last twenty five plus years. Okay. 26 in April. Right? Yeah, twenty six in April. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just how you got started and what all your role looks like now. Okay. Um, in uh, let's see, probably March sometime. I'll I'll give you just a little bit of background about how I actually even got to Nashville. Yeah. I was living in Orlando. I had sung at Disney for several years. I was not at the time. But I had been out of town at a cousin's, actually his uh, fifth, 40th birthday, I think. Got back in town, and there was a message on my voicemail. And it was the the guy that I replaced at the Opry asking if I'd call back. And so, sure, call back. And I talked to his wife, and she explained that he was leaving the job at the Grand Ole Opry. Would I be interested? I said, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know what it was, really. Mm-hmm. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know what it was. And so I called uh, called him back, talked to John. John Moore was the fellow's name. And he kind of explained what the gig was. And I went, sounds interesting. I should probably think about that. So I talked to a mutual friend, and he said, it's a great job. It's a part-time job, but it's a great part-time job. And I think you ought to think about it. So I called John back and I said, yeah, let's, wh- what do I need to do? And this is maybe a Monday or Tuesday. And he said, could you be here this weekend? I went, yeah, probably. Come on <laughs> up. And he, I said, what, uh, what, am I, what, what do I need to do? He says, just, just come up and do the show. I said, <laughs> just come up and do the show. What? <laughs> do, do the show. Because uh, I've always done shows where there's a lot of music to learn and prepare. And he says, it's not quite like that. He said, uh, we do sing background vocals for a lot of different people, but the leader will just give you the information you need. The, and she's got some hand signals and all that stuff. Tried to explain that it wasn't rocket science. Mm-hmm. It's still an unnerving thing to come, come up and do the show, really. <laughs> right. So I got in the car and I drove up here on a Thursday. And Friday I met Carolee Cooper, who was the leader of the group. And she kind of explained what the, what the job was, what I would be doing. And... Uh, she said, you'll be fine. It's not a, you don't expect you to have it down perfect. You're not going to. You're not, you don't know the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, she had some hand signals, and she said, we'll give you lyrics before you need them. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I uh, did that weekend, Friday and Saturday night, and she asked me if I could come back for the next weekend. And I went, 
yeah, that'd be, I'd love to. So I actually didn't drive both weekends. I got a plane nice. and I flew up. Uh, as it happens, I had signed a contract to go back to work at Disney, and I thought, you know what, out of fairness to them, I probably need to let them know if I'm not going to fulfill that contract because we weren't starting for another month or two. Yeah. So at the end of the second weekend, uh, I told Carol kind of what my situation was down there. I said, listen, I'm, I have no expectation, but if there's some interest and I need to let Disney know that I'm not going to do this contract, I probably need to let them know in a reasonable amount of time. And she said, would you like the job? Hmm. So I went, yeah, it was <laughs> fun. So I gave my notice at Disney, and I, I started commuting for two months. I flew back and forth, spent the weeks during the, during the week uh, trying to get my house ready to sell. And uh, June uh, 10th or 11th, I moved up here of 1996, and I've lived here, sung at the Grand Ole Opry since then. Wow. That's the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so you, and you've managed to maintain, I mean, it's probably filled different spaces, but essentially the same job this whole time? Yeah. The, the job has changed uh, somewhat. Uh, the, 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 the job description, probably not that much, mm -hmm. but the music that we have to know and learn yeah. used to be kind of a set repertoire. There were a lot of, of uh, semi or retired Opry members that their only t really time to perform was at the, on the weekends at the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. So the rep, therefore the repertoire was kind of set. And the, the folks that I came in to work with, they'd been doing it for a long time, mm -hmm. 15 years or more. And so it was my job to learn all this set repertoire. We mm -hmm. rarely learned a new song for anybody. Well, as, as attrition does what it does, and more and more Opry members were either completely retiring or passing away, Mm -hmm. uh, they replaced those with newer artists and therefore new music to learn. And today, uh, there are literally one or two what I'd call legend, Opry legends left. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the lineup is new artists or emerging artists. And uh, so instead of a set repertoire, we're learning new stuff all the time. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to chime in because people might not be aware of what the Opry is like. Yeah. yeah. It's very unique. So give us a little rundown of, I'm singing the Opry. What does that mean? Who are you singing with tonight? You know? Right. Um, well, it's a live radio show. And isn't it the longest one? It's running? the longest running. I, yeah, it's a uh, long time. It started in 1927, I think. And it's been every, every Saturday night hmm. that, entire, that entire time. In fact, this Saturday is the 5,000th consecutive Saturday night show Holy on cow. radio. Jeez. Isn't that amazing? 5,000. Yeah. 5,000, yeah. They've been counting them down, too. The You've last... been there for every one of them, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You don't look that old. Yeah, thank you. Um, so being a live radio show, it's uh, the format. It's not like just going to a concert. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a given half hour, there are going to be at least two artists, sometimes three artists. It actually used to be more with the, the way the format is now. So in the course of an evening of a two-hour show, you're going to see a minimum of eight artists and probably wow. more like ten. Okay. Each artist gets two or three songs, just depending on how the op opera decides you know, to present mm -hmm. them. So when, when people buy a ticket to come to the Grand Ole Opry, they're coming to see not a review, mm -hmm. but they're coming to see more than one artist. Okay. And while they may have purchased a ticket because they want to see Carrie Underwood or mm -hmm. Brad Paisley or somebody that they're crazy about, 
they're going to see other people as well. That's cool. So, there, therefore, the job for the Opry staff band and the Opry singers is to cover whatever whatever music is being presented that night, and sometimes it's a lot. Yeah, so. like on average, how many songs are in an evening? Yeah, well, uh, so each artist will do uh, two or three songs. I don't have the math going in my head, so you're probably looking at, what, 20, 25 songs in the course of an evening. Uh, on average, we probably do 50% of those, or maybe maybe more, maybe less. It just depends on mm-hmm. who they've booked, because we don't sing with everybody. Mm-hmm. Some people come self-contained. They've got all their background singers covered. Um, some people don't have backgrounds at all. It just depends on what it is. So do you sing backgrounds if they have them on the album? Or are there a lot of times like, hey, it's a live, yeah. let's add some vocals? Mm-hmm. Typically, no. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't add something that's not already there, because we're not song arrangers. We're mm-hmm. song duplicators. Yeah. We, we try to copy what the producers have decided is going to be on that record. Uh, that can change at a moment's notice, so we'll, we'll be happy to add if we can, but mm-hmm. usually doing that is risky because it takes rehearsal time to get something really ready. Um, yeah. And if it's a new song, we don't know it anyway, so to have had enough time to learn it and mm-hmm. do a good job of it, that's... Yeah, but, and this is a pretty happen. unique situation because you said before, you nobody uses music. Sheet music. Right. Sheet music is virtually non-existent in country music. Not completely. If you if you see a country act with an orchestra, trust me, there, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of sheet music on stage. Yeah. But country musicians read the number, the Nashville number system, mm-hmm. and singers have learned to, to adopt the same thing. So. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to go through the oh I'm, I'm I better write down what they did on the album. Right. Mm-hmm. You guys just is it Mark? Yeah. We're going to sing here. Yeah. We, what we do first is write up a lyric chart okay, and then leave enough space where you can add in any numbers mm-hmm. that you need for reference, whatever notes it is that help you remember what you're supposed to, to right. sing. Right. Yeah. So now you are like the leader of the Opry Backup Singers. Right. What does that look like? It really is largely administrative. Okay. Uh, you know, anytime you get more than two people doing one thing, somebody's got to decide what it's going to be mm-hmm. so that everybody, even if it's just two people, but if it's, in this case, four people, you know what time rehearsals are, mm-hmm. you know who's going to sing, which artist you're going to sing with, who's going to sing on which songs. If it's everybody, then, you know, it's everybody sings, but if it's one or two, I decide, or try, try, try and make the decision who's going to sing that song. If it's mm-hmm. the soprano, soprano part, the soprano's going to sing it, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's really administrative, calling rehearsals, setting singer schedules. And, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to ask more. Yeah. I just find this fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I keep jumping in on your podcast. Oh, here, no, please. Because I've, I've got a vocal background. I've led you know, worship at churches, and I've, I've coached vocalists, and they want to know where's the written part, where's the alto part, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I, I uh, did a recording session with one of the singers that did the Opry a lot, and that's the first time I had heard this where she said, oh, yeah, our leader has these hand signals. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, on the fly, we know where we're headed with, is it the chord or is it the, the right. which part of the chord? Ex- explain that, because that, that, that yeah. just sounds bizarre. Yeah. Like you're, fl- you're, you're like it's intense without vocal a improv. net. You yeah. Know? Right. That, that would have been Carol Lee. Okay. Carol Lee Cooper was asked to be the leader of the group in 72. So when I got here in 96, she'd already been here that many years. And she had developed a pretty intricate method of, of communicating. Now, she couldn't tell you what the words were on the spot, but she could tell you what she wanted the group to do. And then mm-hmm. she had a, a signal for ooh, and this is ah, 
and this is words. And she, she had another way of doing other signals to tell you if it was a minor chord or if it was a four chord. Or, she had a lot more signals than I could ever understand. Dang. <laughs> um, I give simple ooh and ah and words or, or don't sing, okay. those kind of things. But that's rare that those things are needed anymore. Okay. We, we have pretty much what we need in front. So of, uh, how many us. backup singers are singing at a given point in time? Like, is it like a choir or is no, it like two it's, people? No, it's just four. Okay. No no more than four. There are four people on stage at any given time. Okay. Four or less. Depends. And are they, are they being led by someone? Like, would you be like leading them Not like if, a conductor? No, no, there's no conductor. Okay. If, if I happen to be out there and doing any sort of hand signals or leading, it's it's the base. It's the kind of the basics, mm-hmm. but most of the time that isn't even isn't okay. even necessary. So you'd be like in the times that you're leading, you're like shoulder to shoulder with them singing. Yeah, we stand kinda... stand bass, soprano, alto, tenor, and then you're just kind of doing. And I just, but again, it's not very often needed. Yeah, yeah. We we've, we've rehearsed. What we'll do is we'll we will come in if there are band rehearsals with the artists. We'll come in and figure out our vocal parts, mm-hmm. however many minutes before we need to start those rehearsals yeah. sometimes it's 30 minutes sometimes it's an hour depends on how much music there is to polish up and so we've we've figured out what everybody's going to do by that by the certainly by performance time mm-hmm. and it doesn't really take a conductor yeah. was there a time where you just felt like at least a large amount of the evening you had to improvise and you had to kind of like no. n- never been that case no we we don't yeah we we purposefully don't do that Cool. We do our best to, to have as much information as we can going in, because mm-hmm. it's not an improv show. Right. It's it. If you're if you're ever there watching on stage, you've you've been there, Kurt. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to watch a mm-hmm. live show, radio show, and the in and out of of artists and their gear and the sound guy or the the, the stage hands, the amount of stuff they move around between any given set of artists and the setup they do for each one. Yeah. It, it looks like organized chaos, which I guess is kind <laughs> yeah. of what it is. But I do want to say, he's not giving himself enough credit. He says, oh, there's never anything improvised. But this is from the guy that is singing with, with no sheet music, right. no <laughs> notes, and no chords. Right. All he has is lyrics and a number in front of him. Right. right. So if you're in the key of C, you know, C is one and F is four. And mm-hmm. so that's all these country music guys are using. Right. And one of the advantages of that is... Um, you can change keys on the fly. It's, this, mm-hmm. this key's too yep. high. Yep. Let's lower it. Oh, instead of C, now one is B mm-hmm. or B flat. Right. So you don't have to rewrite all the music. Right. But So you're still not going off of sheet music. So what is that like right. to, okay, hear the parts that's, and know where everybody's headed? Yeah, I think what I meant was that's, that's where our prep time before we ever hit the stage mm-hmm. should be adequate enough that we're not, nobody's wondering what am I supposed to sing. Mm-hmm. It's It's... Our, our charts are now electronic. They're on iPads mm-hmm. and all of our notes, and we can edit as we go. Mm-hmm. All of our notes, everything that we should need to execute that given song yeah. is in front of us. It's just not in sheet music form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, we do our best to, to prepare enough, rehearse enough, that it sounds rehearsed. Right. <laughs> not improvised. Right. Right. Yeah. There's, there's an amazing thing. I've watched enough improv acting, which I could never do. There is an absolute skill and art to that that is really unequaled yeah. in music. I, what's what's the show they did it in England too, where they a lot of times they they uh, make up songs and whose line is it? Whose line, yeah, that uh-huh. that is improv on steroids. Yeah, <laughs> those guys, <laughs> exactly. those guys are 
insane. Insanely yeah. talented. Yeah. yeah, the number system, uh, the church that I go to, they, they've been incorporating that for, for a while now. And so mm-hmm. I have a not a deep uh, knowledge base of everything, but enough right. as like a bass player or an electric guitarist, right. you know, like, yeah, you understand. And I can now like listen to a song and be like, oh, you know, that's that's a one, that's a two, that's a six, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and you can feel the flow of music, which is nice because it kind of surpasses or like overrides keys and stuff because you're just thinking how is music right. related to each other. Right? Well, and that's cool because then you're starting to understand the theory of the harmony. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, one, I keep seeing one, four, and five. Well, it's because that's in whatever key you're in, that's going to be the most common progression. So now when you see one, four, five, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I know what that's going to feel like and sound like. Yeah. 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 I do want to chime in because he dropped a little something before, which I just, I'm like, wow. So he, you said Disney, but tell us oh, a little more yeah. about your experience at Disney. That's true. You just kind of dropped out. Like, and I was like, how did you get started? You're like, well, I was working at Disney. And then- yeah. Well, actually, I wasn't. I had been. I, I had started, I started at Disney in 82. Okay. And, uh, you know, Magic Kingdom opened in 1971. Mm-hmm. And then in 82, Epcot Center was scheduled to open October 1st. And so the background for what they used for entertainment at Epcot actually starts before that, in, in my case anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek Johnson's touring group, Regeneration, performed uh, leading up to the Bicentennial every, every year, every summer. I think it was always at the summer. Leading up to the Bicentennial from you know, 72 to 76. And then after the Bicentennial was over, they, they brought them at Christmas and they sang as Dickens carolers in the Magic Kingdom. So all that is the background to Voices of Liberty because they hired Derek, we'll keep banging this thing, they hired Derek to put together Voices of Liberty. They liked what he presented vocally with the group and stuff. Yeah. So Voices of Liberty was born out of that. And we started in rehearsals uh, August 1st, I think, no, it, it might've been September 1st. We might've rehearsed for a, a month anyway. We were there a month before Epcot opened in 1982, and I was in that first, that very first charter member group, and I was there uh, almost 12 years, huh. singing with uh, Voices of Liberty. So, at what point, like this is like way way back, did you feel like you wanted to be a singer? Was mm. there a realization of, like being a singer for no. you know, my I, life, like that's I, what yeah, I want to do? I grew up uh, like a lot of kids grew up singing in church. Mm-hmm. My family sang. My dad was the pastor. My mom played the piano. <laughs> <laughs> and so if we could sing, we sang yeah. once in a while, mm-hmm. not all the time. And by the time I was in high school, I loved music, but I was, I'd never, ever thought about the being a singer. Mm-hmm. And my brother-in-law took the, the choir, as the director, took the choir over when I was a junior in high school and needed more basses and asked me if I'd come and sing. Huh. And it was singing like that that finally made me go, hey, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I sang in high school choir and I sang in college choir and... I loved singing, and I started touring uh, what would have been my sophomore year of, of college and uh, kept touring until I went to work for Disney hmm. in 82. Who'd you tour with? Uh, a group that was born, sort of born out of Regeneration, not, not intentionally, mm-hmm. but one of the tour members of Regen 3, Ben Markley, started a group called The Celebration. And it was eight, eight singers. Okay. We sang to soundtracks. Yep. And I just did that for a year. And then a few years later, I sang in Regen for one year. Cool. And then right after that, I went with Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians, which you've probably Whoa, never heard of. Oh, Fred. Sang with, yeah. He was still around? Barely, yeah. He passed away. In- <laughs> He's <laughs> he like, was, yeah. 
what, what, when did he start? 40s, 50s, 60s? No, he started in, uh, out of college. He left college. He was uh, probably started in the mid-20s and oh. then had his first radio show in the 30s. So he did radio when all those big band era was evolving. Mm-hmm. His, his band all, all sang, mm-hmm. whereas all bands didn't. And it, it grew into a band that would, became a chorus and so there was a choir and an orchestra. So by the time by the fi- time the thirties came around, he had a, I don't know, forty piece band and twenty singers. I mean, it was wow, huge. So yeah. that if sometimes you'll see in in uh, you know vintage record stores, Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians Christmas. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's this guy, and it's just amazing how you, you, musical times have changed. That that was like the, I don't know, do you want to say that was the pop music of that time period? But who who yeah. goes to listen to a, a non-church choir now? But that right. was right. So I sang at Luther College under Weston Noble, okay. and he was he was a famous choral director. Yeah. But he talks about growing up on the farm and rushing to the radio to listen to Fred Waring and conduct along with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah. So I mean, he was very influential. Yeah, you know, I've mentioned a handful of folks that I've sung with or companies I've sung with, and to each one, there's something that I love about it, something unique and something kind of memorable or something kind of cool. And so Regeneration, a lot of people knew who that was, but really just church folks. And then Fred Waring, a lot more people knew about Fred Waring. And Disney, a lot of people knew about Disney. Mm -hmm. But when I went to work at the Grand Ole Opry, (laughs) you would have thought, because everybody had grown up listening to the Grand Ole Opry on the radio. So it's like the the opera has become the pinnacle of my career. You're like a rock star now, yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm not. I, I think it's great. I I just thought thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, that has had that has been the most impactful career move wow. of my. Wow, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> kind of fun. So, uh, so tell me about some some fun stories that you've or encounters that you've had during your time singing with all of these different people. Oh Grand boy. Those are those are challenging to remember, because you know after a while they don't all run together. But uh, I'm not great at remembering particular. Are there any pinch uh, me moments? I saw a picture of you meeting a president. Yeah, I uh, sure. You yeah, met a president. when I was when I was yeah when I was uh, uh, in uh, Voices of Liberty, Disney was hired to uh, send a group up to sing for it. Actually, we sang for the lighting of the National Christmas Tree, which we did with Tony Bennett. And then every Christmas, the White House also does a national press uh, party, Christmas party. So two nights, we sang in the White House for these folks, and we got to go into the meet and greet line and meet the president and, and uh, Mrs. Reagan, Ronald Reagan and Ronald wow, and Nancy that's Reagan. awesome. Yeah, so I've got a picture upstairs yeah. in my room that's of fun. me shaking Ronald Reagan's hand. Any other pinch me moments? Like, man, I just sang with. Oh, we, you know, literally, we had one the other night. Oh yeah. Uh, and I didn't know this name, but I knew the songs. You remember from about 1970, the song "Vehicle" by Ides of oh, March. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then "Eye of the Tiger" by. Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Can they name the name of the Survivor? group? Survivor. Uh, did "Eye of the Tiger"? No. Um, oh man, it just yeah. left me. Yeah, I should have I, had I know that ready. The, I know who yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. So the writer or co-writer, uh, Jim Peternick, yep. guy from Chicago, or Illinois, somewhere. Right, there. yeah, he lives in the suburbs of Chicago. That's right. what I know of. Right, uh, was on last 
Friday night, and we sang both of those songs with him. <laughs> Definitely. So you pension. sang Eye of the Tiger. We sang Vehicle, and we sang Eye of the, T- Eye of the Tiger. Vehicle is great. Yeah. No, great songs. I don't, you and over the years, there have been a number of those. When when Garth was still using the Opry background singers, it yeah. was always a pinch me moment when we got to sing with him. Because yeah. there's an energy. That, that cat is, there's something about certain artists, and it, it, there's the energy in the room just goes up uh-huh. a ton. Yeah. Yeah. And it's more than just applause. It's palpable. It's really amazing. Interesting. Yeah. Are there any um, non-country artists that sing the opera? Like, oh, I just sang with... Yeah, there have there have been a few. I mean, can't call Jim Peter Nick. Right, <laughs> right, artist. exactly. Over the years, yeah. Um, let's see. I'm going to draw on a blank. You can let me think about that, and I'll come back with it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Do you ever get nervous up there? Uh, hmm... There are times when, uh, if if we have an, uh, an extraordinarily larger than normal amount of new music to learn, mm-hmm. and you're going, okay, <laughs> I know I've rehearsed all this, but am I going to remember all these songs? Yes. It can, it, even in, in spite of all the rehearsal, yeah, it, it can still, yeah, give you some anxiety. Um, but, but to sing with a particular artist or anything, no. Mm-hmm. And is it always just... One show, do you ever repeat everything you just did? Uh, not very often. Okay. Uh, there have been seasons where we've sung a good bit at the uh, at the Ryman downtown, mm-hmm. which we're not we don't do right now. Uh, and in those cases, because the the theater's small, smaller, they'll yeah. they'll do maybe two Saturday shows, some sometimes two Friday shows. It also depends on ticket sales. Oh. If a big artist can sell them a lot of tickets. Mm-hmm. They'll sell out. Sure. Cool. Happy to sell tickets to two shows. Right. <laughs> but in general, you're learning a fresh set every time? Yeah. Now, now, if we repeat a show, if there's two shows on a Friday or Saturday, we'll sing with the, basically the same artist. They typically mm-hmm. don't change their songs mm-hmm. between shows. Yeah. yeah. So. so how much do you have to rely on your mental memory to, to keep up with it? I mean, I you know you said you have an iPad and you can take notes. Right. Is there, was that hard to get used to? Uh, probably the hardest thing for me to get used to uh, initially was just keeping track of how many singers, how many artists do I have to be out here for? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, would, I would know at the beginning of the show, okay, yeah, we sing with all these people. And, and so, I, in theory, I knew who, who I needed to be on stage for. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I'd catch myself out conversing with someone or hmm. being in the men's room and hear the intro to a song I knew I was supposed to sing and go ah! <laughs> and book it for the stage and yeah get there in time to oh we're getting wow. a shower you getting this on the Ooh, oh that's not gonna work major... whoa <laughs> we're really outside we that hit fast pull these yeah. mics in closer it, it might not bother anything <laughs> Let me check the weather app. Let's see what's uh, if we've got a tornado coming in. <laughs> you know, it's really fast moving. Yeah, my guess is it's yeah. hit this hard. It's it's, it's Well, welcome back to For the Record. We're still here. Part two. Part part two. Um, life lessons 
if you're gonna shoot a podcast outside, check the forecast. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. But you know, we're still with Rod. I mean, at least you're under this. Right. Right. Oh, oh yeah. gosh. That we still have Rod on the pod. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're just gonna go in. So we were talking about um, stories of different uh, people right. that you have sung with, and you know yeah. some of the the crazy stories that you've gotten to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, without time to think, <laughs> I don't. They don't all run together. You but. mentioned Peter Frampton. Oh yeah. Um, over the course of the years that I've been there, there have been not your typical artists that come as guests. Mm-hmm. One of them was Peter Frampton. Okay. And I think we sang something with him. I can't remember what it was now. But the other was uh, um, Barry Gibb. Mm. And uh, until you've sung "Staying Alive" with Ricky Skaggs. <laughs> <laughs> and Barry Gibb. <laughs> yeah, but it's a very too. unique experience. <laughs> yeah. It's a completely different vibe than. It's a basic. Staying alive. Yeah. yeah. Staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, what about, you mentioned Garth Brooks. Are there any other yeah. um, artists that just stand out and you go, you know, this person, we're going to be talking about them decades from now, and why? Why Garth Brooks? Why uh, Carrie Underwood yeah. or whoever? Well, I think Garth Brooks, you say Garth Brooks in it conjures up everybody's got their own take on him but there's no denying that he had a, a really unique at least in my generation um, uh, response and over the top I mean he entertained like few had before him there were artists uh, you know I always think of Hank Hank Williams as the came out of nowhere uh, artist and the first time he's there it's five standing ovations mm-hmm. you know those those are very unusual occurrences, uh, but there has there have been over the course of the years I've been there a, a number of times when a brand new artist will come on, and the people are just knocked out. Mm. Just there's something about I don't know if it's charisma, the connectivity between the artist and the people, or they just communicate their songs in a different way. And um, had a had an artist he's performed a handful of times. His name is Dylan Carmichael. And he did a new song the other night, standing ovation, totally surprised him. Um, they've seen him, I mean, mm-hmm. some opera artists, or our audiences have seen him before, but those are always the fun kind of moments. Yeah. When something happens that wasn't planned and uh, the audience just really reacts yeah, in, more, in more than a, you know, very nice, very nice. It's <laughs> right. They can't believe they've gotten to see this. Wow. Yeah, those are neat because then it's like that's a moment for them. They'll say, "You remember when yeah. that new artist yeah. played the Opry?" Yeah. Well, Dylan, Dylan is a unique kid too. He's this great big boy, great big voice, humble as can be, a little bit shy, and you could tell he was not comfortable with this standing ovation. He wanted he wanted to get off stage again. Wow. Bill Cody says, "Hey, brother, these are too hard to come by. You need to stand <laughs> up and soak, stand out there and soak this up for a little while." I was talking to him afterward. He goes, y'all, I'm just so bashful. I just, I didn't know what to do. I said, well, they're just trying to tell you they love you. That's and just, you just got to stand there and let them love you. <laughs> he gets it. It's just not second nature to him. Yep. So. so being in your role, it's kind of a unique one because you have a different kind of, access isn't really the right word, but kind of, to the music industry and to all of these big things where like you get to right. be almost, kind of like a supporting role sure. in, to a bunch of people. Um, how how does that hit you? With like, was there a point where you're like, this is a weird role to be in? Um, 
I think uh, when, when you when you perform this role, as you call it, and and so getting ready for it's the same every time, and believe it or not, like any other job, at some to at some point, at some night, it's going to be just another job. Mm-hmm. You're going to perform what you do, what you've been trained to do, because that's you, you got there the, for all the reasons that anybody ends up performing mm-hmm. there. So you don't think about it as this pretty unique kind of thing, which it is. Mm-hmm. It's still, or maybe it's our human nature kicks in. Okay, I got to crank this out again. Yeah. yeah. But when you step back from it, it's, it, you, you really, you got to take stock because it is not, it's not just another job. Yeah, that actually, that was kind of what I was thinking and was going to ask yeah. about because I think a lot of people would look at someone in your position and be like, well, man, that's the dream, right? And, you sure. Know, you're living the dream. Yeah. And and I think living the dream as it is comes with its hardships, its challenges, and yeah. also like it's just the realistic life side of living the dream has yeah. its its challenges. Um, yeah. what, what were some of those for you? Um, well, believe it or not, because the the formula, the the process, is the same for whomever we perform with. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's you know a Garth Brooks or a Dolly Parton or somebody you've never heard of. That routine becomes routine. Mm-hmm. So you lose your perspective on, <laughs> dude. This is cool. Um, so that it, it's, I think it's just our humanity. We get used to a certain thing, and we have to do it over and over again. Have to do it. It's not. It's that, that's how we perceive it. It's really still a privilege to get to do what we do. Yeah. And and how many people? I learned this at Disney. How many people get to come to work, and when they finish what they're doing, the people applaud and <laughs> love you. And I mean. When you're painting, painting a house and you're all done and you've done a good job, you're going to get paid, but nobody's going to applaud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you do a point. factory job, nobody's going to applaud. Nobody's going to go, man, I love, I love that paint job you did. Right. <laughs> I mean, the owner might. Right. So being, being in entertainment in and of itself has that. It's a consistent, if you're, if you're, if you're doing it well, I guess, mm-hmm. you, you're going to get that response. Mm-hmm. Now, you can gauge a great response and over the top like when a moment we were talking about where the people just it's more than a more than polite applause mm-hmm. it is they they're they're they've come unglued <laughs> they're so thrilled with what they've just seen experienced so you you savor those mm-hmm. you savor the moments because you know not every every song is going to provide that every performance mm-hmm. isn't going to be wow i can't believe i got to do that yeah so you have to you have to learn to appreciate the really fun things, the really special times, because they're not always interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I've I've got a music education degree, and you go to college, and you work on your instrument, and there's this perception of, well, if I want to become a player in an orchestra, you know, the you got to practice, practice, practice. The best yeah. person gets the job because you know they had an audition and and uh, the best and they one got the job. Well. Yeah, <laughs> and um, but you get down in this atmosphere, and yes, talent matters, but relationships and connections Absolutely. are so important. And I I don't think a lot of people realize that. In fact, I heard 
I heard Garth Brooks on an interview once. Um, uh, Carthy Masters did it, Blair's uh, wife. Um, his guitarist reminded him, you know, when, when you first auditioned me, I was all set up, and we sat and we talked for like two and a half hours, mm. and I didn't play anything. What, what was that about? And he said, well, you know, my music isn't that hard. Most people can, and you're playing it over and over every night. Most decent guitar players can play my music, but I'm going to have to live with you the other 22 and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And if I can hang with you and have a good time, that's what I'm looking for. I was like, whoa, that's a pretty, that's, yeah. pretty interesting insight. Mm -hmm. So obviously you're extremely talented, but how much of this was, oh, somebody called me, somebody heard about me. So, and I guess what I'm getting to is somebody else says, hey, I want to do what he's doing. Or, yeah, you've got to have the talent, but you also have to have this, these connections and these relationships and play well with others. Mm -hmm. So just speaking to all of that. Um, yeah, in terms of, you know, when I think about how, how did I get here, I, I think about 90% of it is relationship because I appreciate the compliment, but, but I know people that are far more talented than I am vocally and Musically, they understand theory and they understand the numbers a lot better than me. Somehow, the relationships over the years developed to where the, the people that I met along the way that helped open the door. Now, uh, I might have auditioned well and gotten here and didn't work out. So you do have to, you have to know how to live in that relationship. Yet you, you do not have to have to get along, play well with others. But you know what? I think most of the time, if people are willing to just do the job, do the hard work, even if it's not necessarily fun, they're going to succeed. Um, once in a while, I've seen people with maybe not as much, not as much gifting and just natural ability that just a drive that that they they've learned how to succeed in spite of their moderate amount of talent. Um, I, I don't uh, I don't think of myself as being extraordinary talented. I, God gave me a, a gift, and and a passion for what I do. I love to sing, mm -hmm. but I think I think more of it is attributed to relationships. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just <laughs> affirms that because yeah. I think a lot of younger people don't realize. You know, it's like you you got to get out there and be sociable and be able yeah. to carry on a conversation and hang with people and not just not just be a, a geek in a practice room and that's yeah. your ticket to success it's mm -hmm. part of the ticket yeah but yeah. there's a lot more to it than that yeah there is yeah and so i guess kind of a follow-up thought <clears throat> and a lot of this answer might be what you already said so uh, mm -hmm. i know that but if there was somebody sitting at home that isn't doesn't naturally have all of these connections they weren't you know raised in nashville or didn't have, whatever it looks like and they feel like there's a very real divide between where I'm at now and where that is, but I'd mm -hmm. love to go there if I could. Yeah. Um, what would you? What would it, what advice would you give them to start that journey? <clears throat> I think I've been consistent in this too because you have a nephew that wanted to be a singer, mm -hmm. studied real hard. That's not what he ended up doing. But my advice to all singers, all musicians, sing every chance you get, sing every time you have an opportunity. Don't turn down a. Don't turn anybody down. Work at it as hard as you can, and and if you have enough passion, 
and certainly if you have enough skill or gifting as a singer, somewhere along the line that's going to pay off. Um, you know, be nice to people. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not going to get anywhere if it's ever all about you. You know, be a team player. Work hard at what the, what the ultimate goal is because the ultimate goal is not to get you a paycheck. Mm-hmm. It's somebody wants something that, in theory, you can offer mm-hmm. as a singer, as a musician, mm-hmm. as a hard worker. Mm-hmm. So develop a really good work ethic. It, it's not, it's not going to just come because you want it. Yeah. You, you got to work at it when it's hard. Tell my 14-year-old daughter this. You're going to have to work at stuff you don't want to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's true probably of any profession. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just want to affirm in you, like, hmm. I think you're keenly aware of the things that you that you're not amazing at that people are better than you at. I think probably yeah. everyone is, right? Yeah. Like, I'm good at this, but there are so many people that are better than me. But um, the fact that you're you're in the spot that you are and you have the posture that you have, I think is really, really valuable. Oh, thank um, you. And I think that that's the kind of thing that the world needs more of. Um, you know, I think being someone that, that didn't grow up in the music scene heavily, like it is, it's, I have a different perspective on it. I'm sure it is, it is a lot like, you know, music is, is kind of normal here, right? Everyone, everyone does it. It's not like some big crazy thing, right? but at the same time, um, being able to, to sit in the spot where you can sit of like, I honestly, they all blend together. I don't even know all the, the famous people I've sung with and this and that. I just I just want to serve the music and I just want to do my job and do it well yeah. and um, I think people value a lot from you being around them and, and bringing that to the, well, the the crowd. Hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, been a great ride. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's uh, what's what's the what's in the future? Is there anything big that you're like, yeah. man, I'd love to do that? Even if it's like on the side, I want to kind of start this for fun or you the know, things that have been kind of like festering under the surface? Yeah. Um, I don't think there's like a uh, some big, uh, you know, artistic goal that I haven't achieved per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every singer gets asked, do you have a recording? You know, do you have a record? And I'm mm-hmm. going, no. <laughs> and the reason I don't have a recording of myself is that you have to have a reason to make it. They're, they mm-hmm. cost too much money just to just make just to have right. that's my view anyway mm-hmm. and you have you have to have a reason to a, a place to sell it you don't just make a recording that costs tens of or hundreds of thousands of dollars so that you can say you've got one mm-hmm. um, so I, I never pursued the artist model or the goal of, of be, becoming an artist and recording um, probably you know you have to think about it but I never arrived at that conclusion like that's that's I need to do that. Um, I've always enjoyed singing for the love of music, and singing in church has its rewards. But I never felt really called to be a uh, an artist mm-hmm. in Christian music or country, certainly country music. Just happy to do, uh, really happy to do what I do. I also sing in the studio. I used to sing more in the studio when there was more studio work, mm-hmm. and that's a different. That's a bit of a different animal. It's it's like factory work. Really, mm-hmm. you do have to have a skill set that makes makes it worth them hiring you for. Yeah, you can't get studio rates if you don't know how to read music. Mm-hmm. So you learn that skill. You work hard at that, develop that. So, yeah. 
Um, I don't. I don't think I'm done singing, but I'm happy right where I'm at. I don't. I don't feel like now if I just do one this one more thing. Mm-hmm. Ah, hmm. then, you, then you've made it. <laughs> yeah, I. Right. I think. I think success comes a day at a time, mm-hmm. and I don't measure my success by particularly uh, any particular job I've had. I'm content to be where I'm at most of the time anyway, <laughs> and I'm grateful. Um, and as long as they'll still let me do what I do, I, I love doing it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I'm out of questions. <laughs> um, I appreciate uh, you letting us just sit down and talk with you. Absolutely. Um, it's been fun. Yeah. You've got a cool story. Well, a lot of cool you. stuff. So I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you, Kurt, for you know, oh, this yeah. awesome. hijacking my podcast. No, these are all <laughs> I told Rob before. I said, these are the questions I want to ask them that you don't just go out to lunch and hang out as friends like, now while we're here, tell me how you started and right. you know. Yeah. But it's, now we have a reason to get, you know, pull all these this information out of you and I, yeah. yeah, I find it really interesting. Yeah. So yeah. it's been fun. Super fun. Well, thank you again. Absolutely. And as always, we will see you next episode. This is a tangent, but one time uh, I was at the dentist and I asked my hygienist, I, I was just like, I just had a bunch of questions randomly. I was like, yeah. has anyone ever bit you before? She was like, oh yeah, absolutely. That's a weird thing. Dent- dentists right. have to deal with that I never have to deal with. Not yet. Yeah, hopefully. Oh my gosh. <laughs>